0: Let us now continue with the reading from the Word of God. Our first scripture this morning is from 2 Thessalonians. If you care to follow along, page 203 of your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and then moving ahead to verse 13. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, We had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery, or with a pretext for greed. Now moving ahead to verse 13. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as what is really is God's word, which is also at work in you believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displeased God and opposed everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus, they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has overtaken them at last. <laughs> well, that, well, was, that a f- was. the first Thessalonians <laughs> reading. <laughs> it's Let's uh, let's read from Second Thessalonians this time. <laughs> <laughs> we won't charge any extra on your pledge cards for that. <laughs> As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. We beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, So that he takes a seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose he called you through our proclamation of the good news. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word or mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. Now let's turn to twentieth chapter of Luke, verses twenty seven through thirty-eight. I think I got it right this time. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second, then the third married her, and so in the way all seven died childless. Finally the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, "'Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the destruction from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection, and the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Here ends the Gospel.
1: This week I uh, went to a website that I hadn't visited for a while. I used to go every day to do the daily jigsaw puzzle. This is on shockwave.com. You ever done the daily jigsaw puzzle? No? You should try it. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) I love the daily jigsaw puzzle. And what what I like is, what it does is, um, it's a different picture every day. And, And you can actually send in photographs to be the daily jigsaw puzzle. And while it's loading, it will show you very briefly the picture. And then the picture disappears, and what you have is a jumble of pieces to put together um, on the computer. And you, have, you don't get to look at that picture while you're putting together this little puzzle. It doesn't take very long. But as I was thinking about that and do, doing that this week, I thought, now this is kind of like our understanding of heaven and the afterlife. We get this, these little glimpses you know, of it where we, for a flash and, and, and for a moment, somehow we, we get that picture, and, and, for, and we think, oh! I get it. I, I understand. And then that picture goes away. And what we're left with is a lot of puzzle pieces to try to put together, to figure out, you know, what's ahead. I just finished reading uh, one of my all-time favorite books. This is part of a long list of all-time favorite books that I have. But this particular book is called The Deepening Stream by Dorothy Canfield. It was very appropriate to be reading it this week because it is set, most of the book is set, during World War I. And, and it was... Um, you know, I read about the emotion of that first, that November 11th Armistice Day at the end of World War I, and I thought, oh, that's, it's wonderful to be reading that right now, feeling like I'd live through it with these characters. But the main character in the book, Mady Gilbert, has an experience as a child of glimpsing heaven. She spends a winter in Paris with a family that is very um, um, oriented to piano music. And one of the things she hears that whole winter is the mother and the oldest son playing a four-hand arrangement of Beethoven's Fifth. And learning this, and taking, you know, it takes them all winter to learn this piece. It's very complicated. And Mady hears this all winter. She hears all the notes. She hears over and over again the phrases, until she lives and breathes this music, and thinks that she knows intimately every phrase, every harmony in this symphony, because she's been hearing it played on the piano. And at the end of the winter, the family says to her, tells her that they're going to go to a symphony concert of Beethoven's Fifth. She's never heard an orchestra before. So she goes, Can you imagine if you've heard this piece played on the piano and suddenly hear it with a full orchestra? And she is. In the terms that we would use today, blown away by this experience, hearing this. The music comes rolling up, and she is stunned and overwhelmed by it. And as they're walking home from the orchestra concert, she gets this flash in her childish mind, but she gets that flash, this is what heaven is like. It's like life that I thought I knew so well, but transformed and transmuted into something incredibly glorious and powerful. And she has that flash, and it stays with her, although she still doesn't quite know exactly what it will be like. We do want to know, though, don't we? We have this craving, you know, to just, can we have some details about it? It really would make us feel better. You know, just like the kids were saying, you know, if we knew ahead of time... Maybe we could avoid breaking our arm or, you know, some of those things. Or, or it's, it's like peeking at the Christmas presents. And I know that some of you out there are peekers. I'm looking at my husband. And some of you are not peekers. But in,
0: <laughs>
1: in general, we like to know what's going on and what's going to happen, especially in something as important as the resurrection and the afterlife. I had a friend named Barb when when I was in seminary. And Barb told me a story that I've always remembered. She said that when her grandmother was dying, her beloved grandmother, she was an adult at this time, she said, Grandma, you need to promise me if there's any possible way that you can let me know that it's okay, you'll do that for me. So her grandmother died, and about a month later, she woke up in the middle of the night, and there was her grandmother in the room with her. And she was wearing her Sunday clothes, and she was smiling. You know, just kind of like one of those, smiling all over her face. This huge, beaming smile. Did not say a word. And Barb turned to wake up her husband, and in that moment, her grandmother was gone. But she was still sure that that was her grandmother, letting her know, it's okay. It's all right. We want to know so badly that it's all right. We would want to know that the people we love are all right, and that it's, it's going to be okay. And we'd really like to know a few more details beyond that as well. And we're not unique. The people of Jesus' time were very interested in this subject, very interested. Um, and there were lo- many, many, many different schools of thought, even at that time, about the resurrection and, and this, the next age, as they put it. There was a lot of different thought. And the interesting thing is um, that this was still a fairly new concept in Jesus' time. Interestingly enough, you don't get language about resurrection and angels and, an, and a coming age until a couple of centuries before Jesus, which is really not in the scope of things, a very long time. In fact, Daniel is the first place that it really shows up in the Bible. And that was, that's one of the oldest, you know, closest to Christ books written in the Bible. So it's it's really fascinating. It was a new idea, and so they were still kind of figuring out what it all meant. And there was a lot of disagreement about it. We tend to think of, you know, the Jews or Judaism as something that was kind of monolithic. You know, they believed the same thing for thousands of years, and they all believed the same thing, and they all agreed on these things. We kind of see them as this block opposing Jesus sometimes. But they were no block. There were lots of different, you know, sects within Judaism and thoughts and disagreements and so on. They were no more unified than we are. And we're not very unified as Christians even in how we think about things, are we? But they wanted to know, just like we do. They wanted to know. And there was a lot of disagreements. And those early Christians um, had a real struggle because they were trying to figure out how to be Christians, number one. And number two, what Christians believed about resurrection and, and the coming age and afterlife and so on. So here's these poor little Thessalonians now and who are... Very confused about what's going on. Paul had started this church, but then because of persecution, had had to flee. He's, so he's, they're kind of left alone, and they're very agitated. They're very troubled by wondering what, what to believe. And, and different people are telling them different things, and some people are telling them, the, you know, more or less the end of the world has already come. And there was also still, at that time, this thought that Christ was going to come any time. Do you know that these letters to the Thessalonians are probably the earliest literature that we have in the New Testament? The, these letters were written before the Gospels. This is the, these letters; these two letters to the Thessalonians are the first stuff that we have that Paul wrote. So it's the first stuff in the whole New Testament. So, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty here. They didn't have anything to go by. They didn't have, you know, except for Paul's letters, not much written down to to help them understand what was going on. And this kind of thing could pull a a group like that apart. And Paul is very distressed about this, you know, and says, don't listen, you know, to what all these other people are saying. Remember what I said to you. Remember how I behaved amongst you. Read my letters again. Hold fast to that. Remember things like you received the Holy Spirit. You have a promise of salvation. He was reminding them, just like Betsy was working with the kids, what are the clues that I have already given you? Just calm down. (laughs) Look at these things. There is a plan. Hold fast. Evil will be overcome. That is a a major theme, that evil will be overcome. A major theme in in apocalypticism, you know, the revelation of the end times. You know, it's very present in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And really important to people who... Um, are are being persecuted, like the Thessalonians were. And even today, liberation theology, which is embraced in many third-world countries and amongst people who are oppressed, really stresses the apocalyptic theme of evil will be overcome. Hold fast. But what about those who aren't being persecuted? You know, maybe we have uh, some different desires about why we want to know about the future, about the people who are comfortable, for whom life right now is pretty good. You know, so what about us? What is it we're interested in? Now, the Sadducees could be classified in a, as people who were pretty comfortable. They were. The Sadducees were a particular branch of, of Judaism, well, or the culture. They were aristocratic, wealthy, um, associated with the chief priests in the temple. So that was pretty lucrative, plus powerful. Associated with uh, the ruling family, like that the Herods were a part of. Uh, some people despised them partly because of that they you know collaborated with the romans but they were definitely a powerful comfortable class and they did not believe in a resurrection they clung more to the old testament beliefs that in this life we are rewarded or punished for our behavior and and that made a lot of sense to them because they were sitting pretty so they were obviously being blessed because they were good you know, that, made, <laughs> that, that was logical to them. And obviously those poor people and those sick people were being punished for something. You know that the Gospels address that quite a bit. Um, but the Sadducees, as far as they were concerned, life was good. There was no need to think that much about the afterlife. They did not believe in a resurrection. So don't, don't make any mistake. When they come to ask Jesus about the resurrection, it's not because they want to know about the resurrection. It's because they want to trip him up. They want to ridicule the idea of a resurrection by pulling in this, this law that was familiar to people, this Leverite marriage law, where if, if a man is married and has no children, and he dies, then his brother marries the widow, and, and if he dies, and so on. And the whole point of that is, uh, if there's no resurrection, the only way you live on is through your children, okay? So that's what, and marriage, the main purpose of marriage was to have children so you could live on through your children. It was very important. So in that this particular law covered that um, instance. And so your, your brother had children that were for you, for your name. And so they, they pull in this like ridiculous situation. All seven brothers die and who's going to be your husband in the resurrection to kind of ridicule resurrection. But Jesus, of course, answers them in a very complete way. You know, he says there's not going to need to be that kind of marriage in the coming age because nobody's going to die. There will be no death in that framework. You're not going to need to live through your children. You will live on. You know, and he's mostly answering them, but there's stuff that, little clues that we can glean out of what he says. That there will be another age. There will be no death. In some way, we will be like angels. And God is a God of the living. There will be another age. There will be no death. We'll be like angels. And God is the God of the living. And all you need to do is look at the people he mentions, Moses and and Jacob, and think of God's faithfulness to them. And he's giving you a clue. He's not telling it right out, but he's giving you a clue about what that age will be like. So it doesn't give us a lot of details. So, but you put, wine together what Paul says and what Jesus says, and you get this image. We don't know, we can't know maybe because it's going to be so different. But we, we receive things now in this time that give us clues. And we see God's faithfulness and we receive the Spirit and we can know comfort now about that age. And no matter what you do, however you put this information together, that the bottom line is there's one God. God of this life and the next. God of this age and the next. And when you choose God in this life, you've made a choice forever. So be comforted in that and hold fast and choose God for life.